All right, so as we transition to the message, you can turn if you uh, are still one of the turning types, whether you're on your phone or your Bible, the extra special spiritual ones, if you actually have a paperback Bible. Does anyone bring their Bible to church anymore? I'm not judging. Mine's on my computer, so just curious. See a couple of them? Good, good, extra special. Remember sword drills? I kind of miss sword drills. I haven't done one with my kids yet. Um, it's when you, you turn the Bible into a contest. I really like that as a kid because I like to beat other kids at things. Um, but Jeremiah 29 is where we're going to be. I want to do two quick announcements. Um, uh, number one, uh, this coming Thursday and Friday, we are hosting at our house a Global Leadership Summit. I think we have a, a slide for that. Uh, and if you want any details, it went out on a text, it went out in an email, uh, and, or you can just contact me after service. So we're going to be hosting and streaming it live. It's a, it's a Global Leadership Summit, the best leadership summit I know of on the planet that is hosted in a Christian environment where all the speakers are not Christians. They bring in some of the best um, leadership experts on earth. Um, but it's a, it's a perfect place to, to, if you are in any kind of leadership, um, whether you're in uh, business, whether you're teaching, whether even in the industry of some kind, uh, or in, in ministry. So, and as well as if you have friends that wouldn't step into a church, but they might come to something where um, some really amazing people are speaking. Um, uh, what's his last name? Gladwell, Maxwell. Uh, is is speaking, and uh, he's one of my favorites. I actually made a sermon out of some of his thoughts on David a couple years ago, and uh, some some other amazing amazing people. So that's this coming Thursday and Friday. We're gonna only charge thirty bucks, and it'll cover your lunch. Normal tickets are a hundred and ninety. And so if you would like to come to either day or both days, it's 30 bucks a day if you'd like to come, and then your friends are free. So if you'd like to come this coming Thursday, Friday, please let me know. Secondly, um, as we transition into the fall, we are going to be going after 40 days of purpose starting at the end of this month. We're in August now, for those that don't know. Happy August. And we are going to be taking six weeks or 40 days, and, and we're going to invite everyone that can possibly attend an intimate group to take what we're going to be delving into on Sundays into just six weeks to launch your kind of year. Fall kind of launches a fresh year for many of us in many ways. And so we want to go after discovering purpose, discovering purpose. And, and a bit of even this morning in this mini vision series is going to start to kind of pull out purpose-filled uh, roots of what we have in our, in our values and our DNA. Uh, but what we'll start at the end of this month on the 29th is, is going to go into a, a six-week intentional thing. What we want to happen in the groups is there would be an exchange of life. So we need some hosts. We would like to see um, at least 10 groups happening. And so if you can host um, either at a home or a workspace, um, would you let us know? We, have, uh, we will send out some details on that, or you can contact uh, either Sue or I, and we, uh, we invite you into that. Is that fair? Great. All right. You're going to hear a lot more about it. I'll say that next week. I've talked enough. Talked enough. And you can read your emails. Uh, all right. So this is, uh, this is my thought for, um, for, for today. Um, before we get into Jeremiah, I was, um, I was listening to Ed Stetzer, and he was talking about the year 1968. Uh, most of us realize that uh, the, last, the last couple years have been quite tense, right? And, and what, I'm, what I was, was taken back by was a quote by David Brooks who says, every 60 years, America seems to go through a cultural convulsion, a cultural convulsion. What the heck is that? Well, <laughs> uh, we're probably in one now, and the last one was probably in the 60s. 
And, and I realized that most of the people in the room, even your parents, don't even remember this one. My parents are in their early 70s, so that means they were like in like late high school-ish when, when this last cultural convulsion happened. And so they don't really remember feeling what was going on in, in our nation and in the West. Um, but what was happening was, and, and what we all know right now is that we're not just experiencing a pandemic. What we're experiencing is something that affects the economy. There is a potentially an economic collapse or a process of one happening, or at least the fear of one, as well as a little bit of political division. I don't know if you guys are aware. We've been a little bit divided politically in America, in case some of you weren't aware. There were actually two impeachments that happened. That might be news for some of us in the course of a year. And, and most of us have never experienced anything like this. However, 1968. In 1968, there were political protests of even greater magnitude. Vietnam, civil rights. It escalated into all kinds of violence. I was born in Chicago. We spent eight years in Chicago there. Mayor Daley at the time uh, literally gave the go-ahead for, for the police forces to just basically bust heads. And you could see that on the news. And then you had uh, Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated on April 4th, 1968. Then Bobby Kennedy later that year. And we forget that there was also a global pandemic that was called the Hong Kong flu. But just for those of you that aren't aware, there was not a president at the time naming it the Hong Kong flu. That was the common name of the flu, just so you're aware, the Hong Kong flu. And then America was coming apart at the seams. There was a major cultural convulsion. So there were two things that I, I think um, that we need to point out there that I appreciate Stetzer's perspective. But, but what I see is a need for a mindset of endurance. This is not going to be over when the pandemic is over. This will probably last three to four years as Americans question their institutions. We deal with our trust issues and how our leaders haven't been honest with us. And we see all kinds of experiments and results with the creation of new news sources and social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is an elongated process that we're in. Secondly, remember the atmosphere of division. Remember it. We've all felt it in recent months and years. Remember the atmosphere of division. And remember in 1968, Martin Luther King was not the popular figure that he is now. And if you, if you mention him in some churches, some were happy, some were not happy at all. Churches split, pastors were voted out, and it lasted close to a decade, the tensions. We need to build up greater reservoirs of resilience in the church to face the higher level of conflict that's going to be both in the church and outside it. It's going to affect how we lead. It's going to affect our businesses. It's going to affect our families. I can't even tell you how many families have divided over the tensions in the last year. I was just speaking with a close family friend who, who's, uh, who, whose family is now split because of the tension, and she didn't even know it was because of the tensions of the last year. I'm like, you, I, I started, I hadn't seen her in years, and, and all of a sudden she's telling me all this, and I'm, I'm like, you, you do realize this is because of this, this cultural convulsion, all these tensions. All she's experiencing is a son that no longer wants to see her. How do we as the church enter into this tension? Well, we need to build up our resilience, and we need to analyze our mindsets, and we need to remember our hope. Also, in 1968, a man named Chuck Smith, a four-square pastor that would eventually become the Calvary Chapel movement, he asked his daughter to introduce him to a hippie named Lonnie Frisbee. 
and the Jesus People Movement was launched. The same year as Woodstock. The Jesus People Movement represented 20 to 30 million Christians that were birthed in that time frame. At the same time as the hippie movement in Woodstock represented the other diversion of that generation. We're going to have tension in the diversions of a generation. I believe the church has to fixate on the hope of the gospel that we have at our disposal if we don't get so swept away with the distraction of the other divergence. That doesn't mean a split where I'm this side and this side. It means that the hippies, as, as crazy as they were in some ways, they were coming to Jesus in droves. What an opportunity. Can we have another 1969? The year my mother graduated high school, she's probably not even aware of the things that were happening just above the horizon. And I think most of us don't realize the cycles of history and how they can remind us of what the opportunities are. And when we look at scripture, the same thing is meant to draw us deeper. Remember. Remember what God has done. Remember who he says you are. And remember what the invitation is. When we set ourselves in the way of Jesus and his kingdom, we'll find that our mission, our purpose, and our values are evergreen. Meaning what? We don't need to change them in crisis. We revisit them. We don't need to change our values, our purpose, and our mission in crisis. We need to revisit them. That's what we're doing at the moment, and that's what I invite you into today. A little shout out to Evergreen, yeah. my brother's church. Okay, so today's thought. Exile does not define a missional family. We've got four kind of, you go to the back, we've got four kind of anchor values of our family. Last week we talked about the beauty of holiness. We are a word and spirit church. Uh, we are a missional family. The good news has power and the beauty of holiness. Today we're going to talk about being a missional family. Uh, exile is something that Israel became very familiar with. Jeremiah was a prophet who ministered in a time of Israel's exile. But before the exile, he also had some years during the last good king of Israel, of Josiah. And then he began preaching to the people while they were literally under the power of the Babylonians. So in Jeremiah 29, 4, it says this. I'm going to read it for us. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. How many of us have spent any amount of time in our lives feeling like we're stuck in a situation that we cannot fulfill the purpose of our life until we get out of that situation. It could be a situation where you're um, you know, stuck serving a loved one that's sick. You could be stuck in a divorce. You could be stuck in a city that's super expensive. You could not know what you want to study. You could not know what career because the last one didn't work out and you're in transition and you hate your job and you hate your life and you hate your whatever. 
And we can then look at the things. And what drives us crazy is we have unlimited freedom in our society to pursue another way. And so we have this kind of internal angst that we know we have choices. We know we have freedoms. And yet we've got, especially if you're a child of God, you've got this like sense that I've got a greater purpose and calling on my life. And all these things haven't worked out, or maybe you've done everything right, or maybe you know you haven't done everything right. So you're either living in guilt and shame that you've screwed your life up, or bitterness, and you wouldn't dare say that to the Lord, that you're bitter, that, that you've done everything right, and he has put you here. And I always get just a little bit convicted when I go back to the family of God, and you continually see them under slavery, exile, in all kinds of trials, over and over and over and over again. And so what's happening here, this is actually a prophet, Jeremiah, who is contending with a false prophet. If you go on to the next couple verses, you get the real famous Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, that we like to put on bookmarks and, and T-shirts and and floral things, and just like a really good, happy, feel good. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And we can put that on, I mean, we could put that on a baby dedication. We could put that on a t-shirt. We could put that in a Christian bookstore. And, and you can put it anywhere. And, and then the feelings are just it's like hope in a future. And look at God. It's so amazing. And everything is wonderful. And that phrase is coming in the midst of two prophetic voices in Israel, one, who we don't know, is, it's in Scripture, but we don't even remember his name. He was, he was called a false prophet, but he wasn't a bad guy. You know, many false prophets aren't bad guys. And this guy is prophesying that this exile in Babylon is only going to last two years. And that there's hope. And then what this whole chapter in 29 of Jeremiah is, is Jeremiah is coming in saying, yes, God is a God of hope. But it's going to last 70 years. That's a lifetime. Every single adult receiving that word says, I'm going to be here the rest of my life if you're the true prophet. Rest of your life. Think of the thing you feel stuck. What if God's word is you're going to be stuck in that place the rest of your life? And then he goes, build a house, plant a garden, increase, have your kids get married. Why? Because the inclination is survive it through cower, heaviness, bewilderment. But what God is trying to say is that exile does not define my kind of family. Live in the place you don't want to be as if it were your true home, God says. Pray for its wholeness as you would your own home. Enrich it with the life of my kingdom. This changes our view of suffering, and it gives us an opportunity to embrace something we talk a lot about around here called process. God is obsessed with your process. He is obsessed with your process. He is obsessed with your character. He is obsessed with your heart. And what it says in verse 13 is, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The Lord in his kindness is telling them, you're in exile, by the way, that I brought you there. 
Don't give the Babylonians credit. I allowed it to happen because I'm after your heart. I'm after the process of refining your character. And I will have all of you because I am more concerned with your purposes on the earth to invite in all the nations into a one true God that loves them and is convinced that there is no other way than to break the chains of this world by offering freedom that cannot come when you feel under the weight of a physical exile. When you can tap in to the hope I give, regardless of the exile that you are in, then you can give me your entire heart because it's all you have left. And they were hanging on to everything else. And they were waiting to get back. And even their prophets were holding on hope. I don't think this prophet was coming in as an evil man. I think he was desperately trying to get back. Now, how many of us, we can do the same thing? We can go to the word when you're struggling and go like, I think I'm standing on something that's telling me that my problem's going to be over next week. And then next week happens. And you, you do many different things. You, you find a new verse. You find a new friend that's going to tell you what you want to believe. Well, then sometimes I find that I actually just listen to the Lord. And he goes, I didn't say that. And you found a great verse. But when did I tell you that was going to be over? And why, do you, why does this problem have to be over? For you to find my voice. And for you to take hold of your purpose. I think in our, our, our spirit-filled, charismatic streams, we do an unbelievable job of reminding the world that every good thing of the Father is available to us in Christ now. Now. And anything we put into a time frame that takes out our own responsibility of the fact that when Jesus said he gives the Holy Spirit without measure, it means he gives the Holy Spirit in full. His spirit and all of heaven is given to us in fullness right now. And yet we live in the tension of the chaos of this world, where heaven and earth are literally at odds. And we are the people that are meant to continually demonstrate that tension while living with problems that still exist that we don't have the answer to why they are still happening. Because they don't exist in heaven. Why are they existing here? Maybe our answer needs to be, I don't know. But I'm not going to be offended at God in the process. And if it takes me 70 more years to get that breakthrough, I can see it in this realm called the kingdom. And I live with my eyes on that without the need to hold God hostage to bring that breakthrough in this week. If we can be the kind of people that cannot be offended at God if our breakthrough takes 70 years, the world will want to hear what we have to say again. I go back to that a lot. We have to remind ourselves that we have something to say. But we only have something that they want to hear when they can see that it costs us something. Now, at the same time, there are many of us that are tormented for things that we don't need to live under torment for. If you are holding on to unforgiveness, to shame, to bitterness, to guilt, that is for now to be broken and for freedom to invade your life at this moment. And at the same time, if there is a realm of exile in your life, the mindset of the kingdom is, I know that God is going to deliver me. But if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I can already see it. And I'm going to teach my kids how to see it, regardless of who we live under. 
How would that affect the way the church globally lives in the midst of the tension of pandemics, of economic collapses, of wars and rumors of wars, of immigration dynamics, and every last tension point of our society? If we can live with this image of this realm that Christ called the kingdom, that is a continuation of the story of exile from the beginning of the family of Israel, if that kind of missional family is the kind of family that we become, there isn't a type of exile in your life that will keep you held back from living into purpose right now. If you want breakthrough right now, it starts with this kind of mindset. I'm speaking to myself because every single day I get up and I'm flooded with mindsets that are nothing close to this. And I have, I have subconscious convictions of how God works and what I need in order to serve him more, do his work better, to lead a church more effectively, and for us to have more fruit so that I can give it to him and offer it at his feet because I'm so spiritual. He's after my heart. The divided heart cannot be fully given to a God that wants everything. Exile does not define a missional family. So exile, this is a bit of Tim Mackey as well as my words kind of merged together. I want, us, I want us to take this concept of exile and then I want to land on it. Exile is this absolute place of instability and lack of safety. In exile, everything is unknown and everything is disoriented. Imagine the people of Israel and take your own life and think of the places that you feel instability where you feel nothing close to safety, where there's some unknown. That is an, a realm of exile. It may be more extreme for the people of Israel, but I want you to take your own life, and I want you to put it into the framework of exile. They were conquered by something. There was someone that was speaking over them that took away their freedoms. How did we end up here is the question. Is there any hope of going home? This is the entire theme of the Bible. Remember the garden and the consequences then of the exile out of it. It sets us up for Israel's story. It sets us up for the terms of this covenant relationship between God and man, to be faithful to the covenant. And of course, we see Israel time and again, they break this agreement with God, and they find themselves again and again in exile. And when they finally get home, this happens multiple times, it wasn't great, and so the prophets start speaking. And then the Babylonians come, and you have this image the feeling of absolute alienation and a longing for something more no matter where you live. That's ultimately what they're longing for. They're completely alienated from everything that they know is home. Everything is unstable. Everything is unfamiliar. And they're longing for more. And we have that now. Just imagine when you got that, like, breakthrough. Whether you were, like, a breakthrough child athlete, and that was maybe the highlight of your life up to this point. I could still say at some point in my life, I know the highlight of my life was like eighth grade. And, and <laughs> there may be some of you in the room, eighth grade, that was the highlight. I hit it. And then I didn't know what to do with the rest of my life. Others of you, maybe it was like you pressed for that promotion and then you got it. And then you're like, what's next? What's the more? Or you had, you had a family and then it's like, what's next? What's the more? Or you never got that thing. And some of us stay obsessed with the thing we never get. And that can distract us from everything that we're meant to be present with. Exile is the human condition. And it always leads to a Babylon that you cannot escape. 
what if we received exile as just the fact of the human condition that you and I have? And that it doesn't have to define my life. It always goes back to hope. Even the false prophets go back to hope. The scriptures always holds out for hope. And then Jesus comes in, in the same kind of exile. And he's wandering around as a stranger with no home, he says of himself. He welcomes in the stranger. And he said, God's love is shown when you invite in the outcast and you throw parties for those who don't have a place to belong. But Jesus also claimed that Israel and all of humanity had lost its way. And he preached on how self-centeredness causes us to create false homes built on status and power and that exclude others. And therefore, Jesus says, we live in an exile of our own making. So here we have, we have this dichotomy where some of us live in a dynamic where it's like we didn't do anything. Israel's like stuck there and many of them are like, I don't deserve this. I've just been because of my parents or whatever else and now I'm stuck here. And then Jesus comes with this really harsh thing and he says, the reality is, is all exile comes from the reality that you're a human being and this exile is from our own making. And how are you and I currently wrestling with the exiles of our own making? Yes, that really bothers me when I have to own up to my own stuff. And I have to do it constantly. Constantly I have to look at myself with the presence of the Holy Spirit, because if it's outside of him with me looking at myself, then I get dark. Then I get so dark and negative and inward focused that I don't find anything good. And what happens when I'm, when I'm coming to terms with my stuff with him is that he draws out and reminds me who I am. He doesn't leave me miserable. His kindness leads me to a fresh way of seeing what he's already invited me into. So much of the church misses that. When he says that he's the way, he means that he is the life and he is the self-giving love that's proved more than humanity's failure. And it means that he made a pathway to our real home and as Jesus followers, we're committed to him and we've discovered the new way of being human, that the return of exile, while we still live under it, the return has already begun. So how do you live in the tension in exile, and yet the return from exile has already begun. Jesus talks about this in the sense of the kingdom is now and it's not yet, meaning that in the fullness he's made something available, and yet we still live in a world that has fallen, that is broken, that where people don't know how to figure things out, and the church is meant to be these people that step into the tensions, that step into like, I've got a miracle testimony from last week, and this week my best friend just died. And yet the Christians go, and it's like, that didn't change the course of where I'm going. I don't understand everything happening. I don't understand why he's answering the prayers I didn't even ask, and he's not answering the prayers that I've been asking for my entire life. But I know that he wants my heart. And I know that he's a good father. And I've seen too much to go back. And I know, and I know there's no other way. And I know there's nothing better to give my life towards. So back to Jeremiah 29 for a moment, and then we'll close. I carried you, God said. I carried you. I think that terminology is more than don't give the Babylonians credit. It's like, I carried you like my kids. I carried you like my own flesh and blood. I carried you there because I did not abandon you. I did not lose purpose for your life. And they're sitting there wondering, where's God? Here we are again. 
And then he says, build houses, plant gardens. Plan to stay a lot longer than you expected. Get a long-term mindset. Marry and increase. In other words, love. Do not hold back from love. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Why? Because my people increase when it seems contradictory. Increase, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving terms that tie them back to the original call in the garden. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. He's reminding them again, increase, subdue the earth. Be fruitful. He's reminding them not to forget the way of life of his people. My people, increase, wherever you are, increase. Is it possible to increase in the exile? If they understand how to increase in exile, there is nothing that human condition can do to keep you from the purposes of God right now. They think they have to be taken out. And he's saying, how about right now, right here? How many of us need to take on that same posture? Maybe it's the city of L.A. that just seems like an unbelievable force against your life. Maybe this is your dream place. Maybe you thought you had to be here in order to get out of exile. And this is why L.A. is the most amazing place on earth. Because half the people here feel like they're in exile, and half the people here are only here because they got out of exile. The only place I know that's like that is Los Angeles, California. And if we could whittle down our purpose as a body, it's to form people in the way of Jesus in the most influential city on earth. It gave me chills when I just realized that that is really our only aim. Form people against the way the world forms them into the way of Jesus. This Jesus of Nazareth. And we get to do this in a city that has more influence and a louder voice than any city on earth in this moment in history. We just got back from, from Rome, sort of. We barely went into Rome because we've done it before. But I, I sat in Italy re remembering that this was the loudest place on earth for the longest that a place has been loud, over a thousand years. And I don't think... L.A., and I don't think America is going to have a thousand years of that kind of influence. But we have it now. And those of us that are just trying to live life, we don't even care. But I think if you would embrace the city by embracing your place, by starting with, okay, if you can't get your mind around a kingdom, and you can't get your mind around a city, can you get your mind around planting a garden? Because this kind of God is so kind. He doesn't give them he gives them impossible tasks in very simple ways, meaning that like he, he tells them, just go build a house. Just go plant a garden. Things that they can actually go out and do tomorrow, he's telling them to do. And you know what you will have to do in order to do that? You have to expect to be here longer than two years. You're not going to build a house. They're kind of gardens. They had trees in, in, in the ancient Near East that did not bear fruit until the second generation. So when you planted that tree, it was for your kids. And when he says plant a garden, it's with that same weight. I want you to plant the garden for your kids. For this garden, you won't even see half of its fruit. Are you willing to be here in exile and continue to be my people that bring shalom, that bring absolute wholeness and peace? to a city that has enslaved you. Will you bring that kind? Because if you can do that, then I know I have your hearts and I can give you back your land. The problem is we have a divided heart and the solution for exile is simply to give them your whole heart. So wherever you feel like you're in exile, 
that's the place where you know where your heart is. When you feel stuck, when you feel in exile, you know the condition of your heart. Be present with it for a second. Where's your heart at? Where does it sting? Where if God put his finger on it, you'd know, yeah, you don't have me there. I don't mean in the sense of like, don't go around going like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be the Lord's because I've got all these things all over my heart. Don't be ridiculous. It just, just take the moment with your heart. Just allow the Holy Spirit to tell you, where's my heart divided? Where's my heart divided that isn't allowing me the freedom of his world into this one? So what do we do with this? Okay, takeaways and then we'll land. And worship team can start to come up when they want. Exile will not define me. Your assignment here is the same as your land, says God. Invest, plant, build. Remember that it's not just for you. And remember that when you understand the, the lack of self-service and start to put the peace of God onto another, it will come back to you. You realize that the earth is now starting to discover the ways of the kingdom. Uh, scientists, psychologists, econom uh, economists are all saying the same thing. That absolute shalom, prosperity, increase of society does not require us to oppress and torment droves of people. That was not the conviction of the entire world until literally about 10 seconds ago in world history. But it was always the way of God's kingdom is that you did not have to oppress to bring prosperity. In fact, God continually was looking out for the stranger, the outcast, and the foreigner that they were meant to think less of because they did not have the one true God. And he continually said, stop it. You are mine for them. You are mine for them. Give them your undivided heart. And I want to take a minute. In fact, you can all stand as the team comes forward. I want us to take a minute, and I want us to put your hands on your heart. You can close your eyes. And I want to make a couple declarations just about what God is like. I want you to remind yourself what kind of God we serve. Every time we get into the word, the question remains always, what does this teach me about what God is like? Father God, thank you that you will never abandon us. You'll never abandon us. Even in exile, we're not abandoned. You'll never walk alone. My favorite phrase. Thank you, God, that you remind us of who you are when we've lost sight. Thank you for reminding us of our purpose. If they prosper, I prosper. Thank you for reminding me how to take my eyes off myself. Thank you that you make things simple. That your kingdom isn't complicated. That you bring freedom in prison, in exile. Thank you that our freedom is not based on circumstances. Thank you that you move us from heavy to light, from burdens to breakthroughs, from yokes to no yokes. Wherever you're feeling heavy this morning, I just invite you, take a deep breath. 
and ask the Lord if you can give it to him. I've never had a burden in my life where I've asked the Lord, can I give it to you? And he says, no. I may be delusional about what my burden really is, about how I get there. His answer to breaking a burden is always yes. And what are the things that maybe you think are your burdens? But it's really a divided heart that you need to give him. And ask these questions. Where do I feel in exile? Some of us, it's happened to you, and it's not your fault, and you need to receive that today. You're in a situation, maybe even a decades-long one, and it's something that something happened to you or someone happened to you, and it's not your fault, and you wonder where God is. This story is still for you. And maybe the, the, the process is not you owning it. It's you receiving that God is still good and that he will still use maybe the years lost, the brokenness, the pain happening to you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. He isn't accusing you. He's inviting you. He's there with you. He sees you. He loves you. He wants you. His wholeness and his healing is still available. And then those of you that know that you've screwed up. How could God ever be willing to allow me to experience this life that he's offering when I have done the things that I've done? And it's just simply a lie. That's the entire gospel. That he gives us what he deserved because he took upon himself what we deserved. That is the gospel. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For those of us that are wrestling with that truth, thank you for the space to wrestle with it. And if you've lost a sense of your purpose today, maybe stop sensing and looking for a special calling and just get back to the basics of a mindset. Build a house, plant a garden, love, Give your peace. Don't complicate it. The people of God doing simple things in supernatural strength is the purpose of our calling. Start there and let the miracles happen. And finally, can each of us afresh embrace the process of exile again? Just say this in your own words, your own prayer to the Lord. Father, I embrace the process again. I repent for the ways that I haven't said yes to your process in my life. And I'm willing again. I'm willing again to embrace, if it's 70 years, I'm willing to embrace your freedom in the exile. I was, just want to share a quick testimony. We, I don't have to be somewhat confidential, but there was a friend of ours that um, recently was wrestling. The person who moved out here um, specifically kind of against her own will to, to minister to, to people of influence. I know a lot of people do that. 
but this person really didn't want to do that. It was kind of like, I can no longer ignore these things, so I felt like in faith supposed to move out here. And this person lived here for a while. Nothing was happening. She finally moved back. Then immediately this thing. You'd all know this person if I told you who the person was they were ministering to. She just came out. Didn't even know if the, if the, if the meeting was going to happen. And this person had been absolutely tormented. It had a, had a piercing headache for a month. And she just unleashed and she told her, I'm sorry, I have to pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus is everything to me. And the person woke up the next day and said, I haven't been this free in a month. This person is a leader of influence and a voice to much of the world that those in the church couldn't even wrap your mind around, that there is someone on assignment from the kingdom that is deeply ministering to this person. And it happened because she did not consider the exile and purposes. She was just like, I'm confused. I don't know. I'm just willing to be wherever you want me, and I'm not going to get offended. Sometimes the Lord is preparing you in the things that don't add up. Why do you have to move and then, and then pay your own way to come back here just to have one little exchange with somebody? And it was almost like the Lord is saying, can you just get over the stuff that doesn't make sense and allow me to use you just with what's before you? And I, I was so convicted by that. Because there is so much in my life where I'm still saying, like, well, if this would just click and this would just happen, then this can happen. And I know you've put the words, and I know I've said yes to this. I just got rocked by the testimony. There's someone else that just shared a, shared a testimony with me yesterday who had, had moved out here and, and had the dream job. And then, of course, COVID and everything collapsed. All this question marks. And then a breakthrough because... Didn't leave, didn't get offended. If you're, if you're in the room and you're just like, I need to give my offense to the Lord. I'm raising my hand with you. Can you just raise your hand with me? Just as a, just as a declaration. I'm giving you my offense today. I'm giving you my offense. I'm all in on this missional family that is not going to let exile defend me, define any moment of my life. I give you my entire heart. My divided heart will be a one heart, one heartbeat, one voice, one cry to the living God. Raise your hand high. And with our hands raised, I'm just going to invite Krista to sing over us. And those of you that would like someone to partner with you, we're going to make space at the front. We'll have some team people that would love to pray for you. And then we'll wrap up.